Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang Out the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley. Uh, coming at you after Ohio State's 43-30 to win over Maryland, Josh uh, went exactly as we thought it would, right? <laughs> uh, something like that. You know, it dawned on me this morning that my score prediction was one point off and just a couple of points off, but... Ohio State did not get there the way that I thought they would. And yeah, Gene, it's funny. We were talking before the podcast. I just want to have fun. And I have not had a lot of fun as an Ohio State fan the last month or so. You know, last week was the exception. But Penn State game, near heart attack. Northwestern game, gross. Uh, This one just you know, close throughout. And uh, this season, this second half of the season is starting to take years off my life, Gene. I don't know about you. Yeah. And we as Ohio State fans aren't going to get any sympathy from the rest of the country. You know, I was saying how, you know, I I go into the office, I'm talking to other fans of other, you know, college football teams and they, you know, they look at me, I'm complaining and they say, oh, it it must be so hard to be the number two team in the country undefeated, you know, 11 and 0 to this point, all these double digit wins must be so hard to be you. And I think, Josh, we're just, you know, we are jaded in that respect that we do root for a team that is kind of at that level. It is hard to be us. This is not easy. It's hard being at the top, you know, and (laughs) this is kind of the world that Ohio State lives in. Their goals are are bigger than most other people's. You know, most college football teams around the country are looking to just, you know, make a bowl game. There's a very select few teams that are even looking for it. You know, at the start of the season, there's only really a select few that have any true aspirations of making the college football playoff in general and of course Ohio State's goals are even bigger than that Ohio State wants to win a national championship year in and year out and so yeah our goals are a little bit different than everyone else we're not 
you know, you can't, you know, 11-0 and 0 is one thing, you know, all these double-digit wins, but if you watch the games, like you said, these last few weeks, um, we know this team could be better. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, we've seen both sides of the ball play better um, on any given week, and these last few weeks, you know, other, the Northwestern game notwithstanding because of the weather aspect, but... Yeah, these last few weeks, there's been some very clear issues. You know, players that we know are better than they are, you know, or haven't been playing up to their full potential. Um, there's been some questionable play calling on both sides of the ball. There's been some, you know, uh, a lot of penalties this week specifically. So there's been little things here and there that are kind of adding up and have been frustrating. But, you know, at the end of the day, I guess you do look at this Ohio State team. They still, all of their goals are still in front of them. That we are exactly where, you know, we wanted to be at this point in the season. We wanted to be 11-0 heading into that Michigan game. Um, which they did achieve, but yeah, this Maryland game, not exactly uh, how we thought it would go. Um, I uh, Definitely not how I thought it would go. I know my prediction was kind of a, a blowout of, of sorts, but this was, uh, it looked like it was going to be that from early on. You know, the first drive, Ohio State came out and scored in like four plays. Looked like it was going to be a long day for that Maryland defense. Or even, you know, Ohio State even threw to the running back in this game, so it was like, wow, Ohio State's really, you know, pulling out the offensive, all the offensive stops for Maryland, but Pretty much from there on out, it kind of just fell off. Things couldn't get going. There was no consistency on the offensive end. The defense was uncharacteristically struggling for really, I think, the first time all year we've seen them look this bad. I mean, they they, they kind of got it, got it together at certain points, but it wasn't consistent throughout. Um, they, they struggled in the passing game specifically. The run defense was still good, but I thought both sides of the ball really didn't play up to their strengths, and obviously injuries, are, like we're going to get to, also played a part in this as well. But I don't know. I, I think there's... A lot to look into in this game, and we'll obviously get to that, but definitely not how, uh, not how I saw things going. This was a lot closer than I like, a lot closer than any you know anybody would like. Even though it's you know a double digit score, Ohio State was only up six. Maryland had the ball with forty seconds left, a chance to go down the field and win the game. And while it was a, a slight chance, it was still you know something that could have happened. So um, an odd game all around. I'm not really sure what to make of it, but I guess we'll kind of we'll we'll run through it and see where we end up at the end of things. Yeah, I think we're going to unpack quite a bit my overall thought you kept saying good good uh, speaking about potential things like that that's what this game was um, a handful of guys a large handful of guys played well they played good but very few played great uh, a couple of guys stood out but it's just good is not always going to get it done uh, especially when you've got an opposing quarterback. I think we can say Talia Tagovailoa played great. And especially against stronger opponents, good or above average or whatever, like that's not going to cut it. Good is not going to win you a national title. And I think that's what we've seen the past couple of weeks is a bunch of guys are playing good or well, however you want to term that. I know um, the English language would, would say well, but it hasn't been good enough. and That's the way that I look at it. Uh, I know we'll get into C.J. Stroud. We'll get into the defense. But, yeah, it's the same thing can be said for some of the coaches or the, at least their decision-making can be questioned at this point, some of the play calls and things of that nature. It's just it's been an odd couple of weeks. And I think last night the big thing, the big thing that I, I want to hit on, because I know you want to probably talk about Ohio State's offense first, C.J. Stroud did not necessarily save the day. And that is what I am concerned for next week. And in the playoffs, uh, they'll probably cobble together a running game. The defense will will be up and down, but 
primarily up. I, I like what this defense is doing still most of the positions, but I feel like Ohio State has needed C.J. Stroud to ride in like some white knight and and save them and just put up a 50-burger or dominate an opposing defense. And I don't think he's done that the past couple of weeks. You know, the Northwestern game can probably be thrown out. But, uh, you know, when you think of like, you know, the, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and it, that's not fair to C.J. Shroud, but like when you think of the best of the best of the best, They'll just you throw anything at them and they'll figure out a way to be good or be great. And yes, Northwestern won that game. CJ Stroud ran the ball, but he wasn't sharp throwing the ball. Indiana, yeah, he had five touchdowns, did not reach 300 yards, 60% completion percentage. And then last night, like, I thought he was fine. And that's what I want to see because uh, I feel like he's the best player on this team. Uh, I don't know that it's even an argument. And so that was sort of a letdown for me, but there were letdowns across the board. And that's what I want to start getting into, Gene. I know you want to hit on that as well. Just it's great to see Ohio State win by 13 points, but it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing uh, or great performance. And it it could have gone the other way if a few things happened differently. Yeah, I think in terms of C.J. Stroud, there's so much else going on in this team that we kind of just, you know, we we kind of forget about him as as a quarterback, just how good he's been for Ohio State this year. But yeah, like you said, these last few games, he hasn't been, you know, I would say at his best. I don't think that the final score of this game being as close as it was is anything to do with how C.J. Stroud played in this game. I thought he was, you know, he was still no, good, no. but it was very, very apparent at times that, you know, he missed a couple of throws that were used to him making. And while, you know, there were hard throws, there were some deep balls that he kind of missed on. But, and, you know, while they're hard throws, they're throws that we've seen him make in the past. And, he was kind of just a bit off, like you said, 18 of 30 in this game, 241 yards, just a one touchdown pass. Um, you know, kind of just a pedestrian day for C.J. Stroud. Those are good numbers for most quarterbacks around the country. But, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't make any, like, egregiously bad decisions. So, you know, the decision-making is still there. He's still making the right plays. He just, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't at 100%. I don't think anybody, anybody on this team was really, you know, playing at 100% in this game, um, whether that be health-wise or just focus-wise. You know, we talked about last week, um, how neither of us really thought that the look ahead would be kind of an issue for Ohio State, but it did seem like that was at least somewhat of an issue. Um, they looked overall kind of unfocused as a team. There wasn't a ton of juice in this game. You know, they had a ton of penalties, uncharacteristic penalties, 11 for 97 yards in this game. And Maryland had 10 for 97 as well, so it wasn't like they were clean either. But um, uncharacteristic to see from the Buckeyes, a lot of pre-snap stuff, a couple of, you know, delay of games, false starts, what have you. Um not the prettiest game overall, so I think, you know, C.J. Stroud was fine, but he definitely wasn't at his best, and, you know, if, if Ohio State's going to win next week, they will need uh, a better performance from him than he had in this game, but like I said, not the, the reason that this game was so close was not because of anything C.J. Stroud did. Um, the big story, I think, offensively in this game was the running game. Um, not great early on, especially in that first half. Um, it looked like they were really forcing Trayvon Henderson to play at what was probably, you know, at best 50% capacity, um, 11 carries for 19 yards in this game, not, not looking good for him, but the health was clearly an issue. He couldn't cut very well, but also he wasn't really making a ton of, of good reads. There was a couple of plays where he probably could have just ran straight and picked up, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards, whatever it was, but instead tried to bounce it outside and wound up either, you know, losing yards or getting nothing out of it. Um, and I think that's kind of been... 
an issue for him all season. He hasn't been decisive enough. He hasn't been hitting the holes. And I think that's why we've seen, you know, guys like Mayan Williams and in this game, Dallin Hayden, who we're obviously going to talk about. Um, I think that's why those guys have performed better this season because Ohio State's offensive line has been opening holes. But if you don't take them, there's, they're not, that you can't do anything with that. So Trayvon Henderson has been trying to bounce a lot outside. He's been very indecisive in the backfield. And I don't know how much his... You know, his health played a factor in this game specifically, but I think overall this season we've seen kind of a trend where he hasn't been hitting the holes as well as the other guys have, and I think that's really limited his play so far. Yeah, gosh, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's tricky with Travion Henderson because I I honestly believe that he's the most talented running back on this Ohio State team, and we saw him catch a pass last night, which I was like, is that a trick play? The You know, the halfback screen, is that something that, they dialed up during the week, but no, it's a perfectly normal play that Ohio State has chosen not to utilize. But I just I think he has a style and that style does not always mesh with kind of the guys up front or maybe what Ryan Day slash Justin Fry, co- you know, collectively are trying to do. There are very successful running backs who sort of make a living always trying to push it to the outside, relying on their speed, relying on their explosiveness. And so I think that's Travion Henderson's preference is to try to look for the home run because he is a, he's a track guy. He is a, a very unique combination of size and speed. And so he's like, look, if I can get to the outside, I'm running past you. And while that can work, yes, I think that he fails to take what is given to him sometimes. And that's what we that's sort of what the opposite of what we saw with Dallin Hayden, right? Which was see hole, run to hole, and take what's there, and then maybe you break a tackle and that five yard gain becomes a 15 yard gain. So that's something that I think Trayvon Henderson has struggled with. But the health is clearly an issue. And so maybe he doesn't sort of trust that part of his game, which I know that seems odd for like a lower body injury to want to push it outside and run past somebody. But maybe it's in the back of his mind where he's like, look, the longer I get, you know, the more often I'm in the scrum or running it up the gut, you know, maybe the more likely I am to suffer uh, another injury or make my current injury worse, whatever it is. So I just, I think it's a style thing. I think that they haven't figured it out. I still have faith in Travion Henderson, but it's been an odd season with him for him. And when he's in the game for Ohio state running the ball, but as far as his injury goes or last night goes, I really, I straddle the fence on this one because they said he had a great week of practice. They said that he felt great leading up to the game. And as a competitor, you know that he is in Ryan Day's ear, um, everyone else's ear, Tony Alford's ear. Hey, I want to play. I'm ready to go. Do the coaches need to buy that hook, line, and sinker? No, I don't think so. But I think it's pretty evident Ryan Day has not overexposed his injured guys to further injury, with the exception of maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I, you just treat that guy separate story, completely different story. Right. But Ryan day and his coaching staff, they've shown 
a like a preference or it's, it's in their nature to hold guys out maybe even longer than they need to. So I think Ryan Day had confidence in Travion Henderson going into last night. I think Travion Henderson probably felt ready to go and told his coaches as such, but it's a completely different atmosphere and environment when you're out there taking you know, live rounds against an opposing defense who wants to stop you and is keyed in on you. So that whole thing was weird, but we can probably agree on the fact that Dallin Hayden played really well. He has played really well when given the opportunity this year. And unless either one of those other guys in Travion Henderson and or Mayan Williams is at 101% next week, I, Dallin Hayden needs to be the guy. And as Ohio State fans, I feel like we should have confidence in Dallin Hayden, given what we saw last night in previous games. So not overly concerned, but I would also like to have two to three options available in that running game. Yeah, and we, we've talked so much this season about Ohio State's run game and all the limitations it's had. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the fact that you haven't had really a healthy Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson in the same week since like week one, that obviously I think has played a role in some of these struggles because, you know, coming into the year it was like, wow, they have this incredible tandem one, two at running back. You know, they kind of expected to have that also, you know, they thought they'd have a guy like Evan Pryor as kind of a change of pace guy back there as well, maybe a more of a pass catching option. And he obviously has missed the entire season. Both of the other guys have missed a handful of games. Mayan Williams not available in this game. It seems like these two guys flip flop who's available each given week. But I think that obviously plays a role. You know, these guys, nobody can get into a rhythm because they're playing, you know, every other week yeah, yeah. or a couple taking a couple weeks off with injuries. They're obviously even when they're playing, they're not 100 percent. So. You know, they've both had their moments, but I think it's really tough to have, you know, neither of your, your top two running backs healthy at any point during the season. It's, it's really been a slog for them. Um, hopefully, you know, if things break well and, you know, Ohio State does make the college football playoff, they'll have, you know, a couple weeks off. Maybe those guys could finally get healthy for the for the biggest games of the year. But you still got to get there. And, and in order to get there, I think, like you said, Dallin Hayden is going to be a really important part of that. You know, we always... You know, we, we had, didn't really expect him to play much of anything, any any sort of role at Ohio State this season. You know, he was running back four on the depth chart behind the three guys I just talked about. But he came into this game, and I don't think it's really a, too much of a stretch to say that Ohio State probably, maybe not probably, but has a good chance of losing this game if Dallin Hayden doesn't come in um, and, and kind of right the ship in the running game. 27 carries, 146 yards, three touchdowns for the freshman. Just an incredible performance from him. He looked really good, and he was kind of doing, you know, kind of like we said, where, where Henderson wasn't being decisive enough. Hayden was very decisive. He was finding the hole. He was making the right reads. He was making good cuts. He was making guys miss. He was doing a bunch of everything, and he looked really, really good out there. Um, I was genuinely impressed with what I saw from Hayden running the ball. And yeah, like you said, if these guys aren't healthy, you know, if Henderson and Mayan Williams are both at like, you know, 60, 70% for that Michigan game, I, I think you got to go in and let down Hayden Cook, let your 100% healthy running back, you know, make plays. We've seen, you know, over the years, how many freshmen have made their mark in the Michigan game. Why not Dallin Hayden as the next guy up for that for that role? He looks really good in this game. Like you said, every time he's gotten the ball this year, he's, he's done good things with it. There's no reason to not trust him. It's not like he has, you know, he hasn't had really any fumble issues, knock on wood. He hasn't really done anything very detrimental. He hasn't, like, cut back and lost, like, 15 yards. He hasn't really made a lot of the mistakes you would expect potentially a freshman to make. And I really like his style as a runner. I think he's, you know, he's not the highest. He's not really the home run threat of maybe the other two, but he's been very consistently getting yards. You know, he averaged over five yards per carry in this game. 
Um, and he was, they were kind of, it's not like Ohio State really altered their scheme all that much when they brought out Henderson and, and put in Hayden. I think he was just, you know, running the plays better. Like I said, he was, he was actually hitting the hole harder because, you know, he's on two healthy legs, unlike Henderson. Uh, his field vision was good. He was finding the right holes. He was making guys, you know, he was, he was doing good stuff in the second level. Like once he got past the line, he was making good cuts and making guys miss there too. So, I really liked what I saw from Hayden. He's a he's a good back. This wasn't a guy like I said that was expected to be yeah. a big part of this offense, but he's 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 really shined. And if if those two guys, if Henderson and Williams, aren't a hundred percent, you need somebody that's a hundred percent to run the football against Michigan, especially with how their how good their defense is. And I think that Dallin Hayden has proved that he's the guy. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the starting running back next week. Um, you know, if if you know if a guy like Mayan Williams, maybe this was a week off and he's fully healthy next week, I think obviously he would start. Um, I don't think Trayvon Henderson will will have much of any impact next week. He was in a boot at the end of this game, and I know you know both of these guys have been in boots, have been on crutches, whatnot all year. But it just didn't look like he was ready to go, and I think he probably you know exacerbated this injury even more playing in this game. Uh, but I think Hayden is is more than capable of being your your lead back. He's you know he had twenty seven carries in this game. He's shown he could, he could shoulder the load, and so I think you let him cook. I I, I agree, and this might turn into the Dallin Hayden podcast, but I'm you brought it up. You know the win probability. This was the Dallin Hayden game because <clears throat> I would say that there is a high likelihood Ohio State loses that game last night if Dallin Hayden does not come in and at least run the ball successfully. Now, could they have, you know, lived with 15 for 70 and a score? You know, maybe. I don't know. But it kind of goes back to one of my earlier points. C.J. Stroud was not the white knight coming in last night you know, you know, on his golden horse or whatever to save the day. He wasn't at his sharpest. And so they absolutely 1000% needed a, at least a good game from Dallin Hayden. And I think that he gave them a great game. What's interesting with him. I agree with you. He is maybe not the most explosive home run hitter, but they always say you can't go broke taking a profit, right? I can't think of a run where, Excluding when he has maybe been hit in the backfield, Dallin Hayden doesn't lose yards. And the same could also be said of Mayan Williams, although he's tried to get cute a time or two. And you have to look, you know, sample size comes into play, right? Dallin Hayden does not have the same sample size, but the guy goes forward. And that is what you need, especially when it gets cold, when it gets sloppy, when you're going against uh, a team that has a good interior defensive line and a good front seven. So that. Not that Maryland has all of those things, but just in general, Dallin Hayden was really good last night. And the funny thing is, I'm going to blow your mind. I don't want to give away too much of our our preview pod. I think we're going to see all three of them next week if they're healthy. And for this reason, like I, I think now they bring some different things. And I truly do think that they're going to empty the tank, whatever is in there against Michigan, against the Wolverines. So I, I'm with you. I don't know that all of those guys go into next week healthy. And Dallin Hayden should probably be the starter. But I wouldn't be surprised to see those other guys in some capacity, if anything, just to throw some looks, be decoys, put all three of them in the damn backfield. I don't care. But I think they'll try some things because at least now we think Mayan Williams is going to be close and if Travion Henderson started that game, he's probably going to be close. And this is just me, amateur opinion, amateur diagnosis, you know, as an amateur doctor sort of deal. But I'd like to see all three if they're capable. 
Yeah, it's going to be very funny when Ohio State comes out in a, a triple option Wildcat look next week with all three in the backfield on the first play, just to really throw things off in the Michigan game. But no, yeah, I agree. Got to do something. Yeah, you got to throw some looks there. Um, yeah, but I agree. If, if they're all healthy, or at least healthy enough to play, I think they'll all at least give it a go. Um, I don't think any of them want to sit out against the, against Michigan. This is the game they've been preparing over a year for at this point. And so you don't want to miss this this contest if you don't have to, but... You know, I think you do have to, you know, you have to play who's going to give you the best results. And in this game, it was Dallin Hayden. If he is the most healthy next week and he is the most productive, I think he should continue to see uh, the bulk of the reps. Um, what was odd to me, like you said, in this in this game, it seemed like every time they gave the ball to Dallin Hayden, he at least got a couple yards. He went forward. There was a play late in this game where Ohio State was faced with a fourth and one and they elected to pass. And it was just like, given what uh, Dallin Hayden gross. has, yeah, given what Dallin Hayden was doing, I just don't get it. Like, I know Ohio State's had their issues on third and one, fourth and one, what have you this year. Short yardage situations have not been their strength. You know, Ryan Day said last week that they've kind of been forcing running the ball in those scenarios because they want it to be successful, but it just hasn't. But I think in this game, like, this was a spot where you could have ran it in that spot and gotten it because of how well Hayden was running the ball. You know, they clearly trusted him to do a lot of stuff. There was a drive late in this game that was reminiscent of that that last drive against Notre Dame where Ohio State, I think, ran the ball seven or eight times in a row with Hayden. And so they clearly trusted him to get the yardage and do these kind of things. And so to not give him the ball there on that short yardage situation when he had been picking up short yardage so well was very odd to me. I think they do continue to overthink that a bit, and we maybe will get into play calling a little bit later. But that was one that really Gee, stood out to me. let's do it now. Do you yeah. want to just have the Ryan? Are you going to force me to have the Ryan Day conversation now? Uh, yeah. Why not? Might as well. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've. It's been a frustrating year for to to watch what Ryan Day has done with this team. They're clearly, you know, supremely talented across the board, but it just feels like at times they're not not utilizing it to its full extent. And what I've kind of said, and what I've seen, you know, other people have kind of gone this similar sentiment. I don't think Josh fully agrees with me, but the way I see it is like D- Ryan Day has been a tremendous team builder. He has put together a fantastic roster of talent. His recruiting has been obviously off the charts. He's done a great job of going to the transfer portal and landing guys as well. So putting the guys on the field has not been an issue. I also think he is a tremendous quarterbacks coach and like passing game coordinator. You know, we've seen the guys that have been under him even before he was head coach, you know, a guy like Dwayne Haskins when he was just a quarterbacks coach and of course since then, you know, Justin Fields and CJ Stroud, all tremendous quarterbacks at the college level. Um so that that can't be debated. He's obviously very good at those things. But where he has, you know, sort of start to lost me is pretty much everywhere else on offense. His his run game coordinating is not ideal. And it, and it's like the thing is it doesn't have to be. Like I don't want Ryan Day to have to be perfect at everything, but you have to be able to put guys around you that are able to do it. And if you don't trust those guys, you know, if he doesn't trust, you know, Tony Alford or Justin Fry to help coordinate the running game, then then he's really not getting any help and it's not going to get any better. But I just don't think you know, the run game all year, even with, you know, we've talked about all the injuries and everything else that has plagued them, so none of that has helped. But to keep running pretty much exclusively zone running schemes when other things they've thrown out there have worked well as well, um, they've gotten a little bit better at uh, varying the formations. They're not always running out of one formation. They're not giving it away to the defense based on how they're lined up. They've done a better job in that regard. But um, I think overall the run game hasn't been coordinated well, and I don't think that's Ryan Day's strength. But he's not really letting other guys take over. Um, so that, that's kind of my issue. I feel like he doesn't really have 
a great feel for a run game. He's he's a passing game guy, and I think he should let the guys, you know, the Kevin Wilsons, the Justin Fries, the Tony Alfords around him, at least have you know somewhat of a significant say in how those things go because they obviously those are the areas that they excel in. Ryan Day wants to be the the master of everything, but it's hard to do that. You know, he could be. I'd rather him just focus on the things that he's really good at, potentially make those things even better. You know, stick with the recruiting, stick with the quarterback, stick with the passing game. Let your other coaches that you pay a lot of money coordinate the run game, and I think that's kind of what we've we've seen and a lot of their issues have been this year where this just there's no good feel for how to call a run game with Ryan Day calling plays and I don't know you know I'm not I'm not fully on the board of of him giving up play calling because I think overall it's been you know fine but I think that's one area where it's just been a glaring issue and I don't know if it's going to get any better if he just continues to do it all himself a lot to unpack there. So credit to you, Gene. Over the last two years, you have definitely convinced me to come closer to your side of this argument. And I actually, I don't think we have much of an argument. I think we actually agree on a lot. <clears throat> it, it sounds, well, you've said as much. You are not in the Ryan Day needs to give up play calling camp. Neither am I. I am in the Ryan Day hive because and this is not necessarily applicable to you, but I don't feel like if you call for Ryan day to give up play calling, then you can't, you're not allowed to also be like super excited and speak highly of him when he's in his bag, because I think he can really dial it up at times. I think he has some great schemes, uh, great play calls and things like that. That's why I'm still on that side of the ledger, because I do think that he is, Sort of an offensive genius. However, there are issues in the run game or with the the play calling. And so that's where I think you and I are, are coming closer in this sort of quasi-argument. Maybe he needs an equal partner. And you speak uh, about, about trust. I think he's lacking some of that, particularly in the run game, which is what you, you know hit on. I don't. I I like Ryan Day as a play caller, but he needs an equal or you know let's call it a subordinate who he trusts. However you want to sort of define that relationship, he needs a guy in his ear saying, "Hey, Coach Day, Ryan, this isn't working, and it's not working now. I don't want to have to remind you a quarter from now that it's not working." And that's sort of what we saw last night with the outside zone runs. It's like. Okay, I'm good after three or four of those, not 11. And they weren't all outside zone, you know, sort of rushes for Travion Henderson on his 11 carries, but it was clearly not working and they didn't mix it up early enough until they, you know, completely scrapped that once Dallin Hayden came in. So, yeah, like I don't know if that is Tony Alford or Justin Fry or. I don't think it's Kevin Wilson. I think Kevin Wilson is sort of a, I, w- I don't know if I'd call him a mentor. He's a bit of a, a, a caretaker of that offensive role or that title that he holds. Not that he's a bad coach. I think he's, um, you know, brings a lot of things to this Ohio state program, but yeah, there is, it can't be 100% on Ryan day's shoulders. And I think that's where they sometimes run into some issues and some problems, which, Again, is something that you were hitting on and driving home. I brought up before we started the podcast, I'd like to see some sort of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy dynamic that the Kansas City Chiefs have. Because Andy Reid, 
is looked at as the play caller and like everything is on his shoulders, but it's not. You know, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. He has a play sheet in front of him. He's consistently in the ear of Pat Mahomes, and there's sort of a a group dynamic, a group think there. Ryan Day, it's it's more of a dictatorship when it comes to play calling right now. That's where I would like to see him soften his stance. And I think, like I said, you and I are coming closer to our opinion there, I, I think. But one guy, one person in control all the time seems to be a detriment to this team's success on occasion, like when it's fourth and one, or, or maybe it's third, I, I actually forget, and you throw it. The run game's working, but Ryan Day, whether it was stubbornness or not, he's like, hey, I'm going to put the ball in the hands of my best player, which isn't a a bad idea, but when the other things are working so well, I, he needs to be more comfortable with that and more like accepting of that. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, very funny stat here that I've just discovered. We, we talked about, you know, the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how we're, we're kind of jaded as Ohio State fans and we want everything to be perfect. Um, it has just it has just been, you know, discovered to me that the uh, Ohio State just this week has, has overtaken Michigan as the number one team in the Big Ten in yards per carry in the run game. Um, so <laughs> as we sit here and we complain about the run game, Ohio State is now number one in the conference and running the football in that regard. Um by a very slim margin, Ohio State's averaging 5.53 yards per carry, Michigan at 5.51, so literally by .02 yards per carry. But nonetheless, um, very funny that we're having this whole conversation, basically this entire podcast so far, about the run game and its limitations and whatnot, and yet Ohio State is now statistically the best team in the Big Ten in running the football. It, it just kind of, you know, it is a reflection on ourselves that this is, this is the But case. it's situational, right, Gene? Yes, like, I bet that if you went and looked at third and fourth or short, they're probably not number one. I could be wrong, you know, but it's there are there are other factors at play. But it's it's funny and it is interesting you bring that up. How, you know, our standard and our expectation is probably a little unfair. Yeah, you know, I I think obviously you know box score watching is not always indicative of what happens in the game. I think you could still watch these Ohio State games and realize that there are you know pretty massive you know flaws here and there. Um, so it's not all perfect, even if the stats say that they're the best at it. It's not, you know, like you said, situationally, it's not always what you want. So I think it's, I think all of our our points to this this far have still been fair. I think we still want to see, um, you know, more consistency in that area, both from a, you know, a, a whoever's running the football health wise and a play calling standpoint. So a lot to talk about there. We'll obviously talk a little bit more about that run game um, in our preview for Michigan this week. Um, just to round out the offense, just hitting on the wide receivers, not really a ton to discuss here. You know, I thought they were, they were fine. I thought it was good to see uh, Emeka Buka get back in like the stack column in a big way. You know, he led the team at six catches for 82 yards. Um, he had kind of fallen off the last few weeks, so good to see him get back out there and, and, and make some big plays. He had a really nice, uh, long 35-yard catch late in that game. Uh, just a you know, good game from him. Marvin Harrison Jr. continued to be Marvin Harrison Jr., five catches for 68 yards. Almost had a ridiculous catch over the shoulder that was overturned on review because it, it lightly grazed the ground coming down, but very good effort from him. He has just basically caught everything thrown his way, and I think those two guys... 
are really just a, a fantastic wide receiver duo. Um, Fleming had two catches for 30 yards in this game, still were two for 20, so not a ton really elsewhere in this passing game. You know, Stroud only completed 18 passes in this game, and he only threw it 30 times, but um, not really a ton going on in the passing game. I thought it was fine. Um, obviously, Trayvon Henderson had the the long 31-yard touchdown catch. Um, didn't know it was legal for you to throw to your running back. I think we just learned that this week ourselves. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, there wasn't, I didn't think it was really a, you know, I, I didn't really have many thoughts on the passing game in general. I would still like to see um, Ohio State attack the middle of the field more. I think they did a little bit better in this yes. game at doing that. But every single time they've done that, it's been wide open this year. And I don't know why they don't continue to do it. You know, whether it be a slant, a crossing route, a drag route, whatever it is, that those things have been open for big yardage every single time. And I would love to see them do that more. Maybe they're saving more of that for Michigan. I don't know. But um, that's really my only takeaway from the passing game. I thought the receivers played, you know, they were fine. I didn't think anything, you know, negative or really positive about it. It was just they were there and they, they played. Hard to argue with that. Um, over his last three games, C.J. Stroud's completing like 51, 52% of his passes. Now, that's including the Northwestern game, but right at 60% over the last two. And yeah, like it's been fine. We have a high standard for C.J. Stroud too, right? Probably rightfully so. Because the dude is a stud and he hasn't played poor by any means. I think not even above average. He's been in the good neighborhood, but he has missed some throws that he would otherwise make. A couple deep ones to Marvin Harrison Jr. Even the one he laid out on um, could have been thrown a little bit better. And it's another thing you and I talked about before the podcast, like the passing, it just doesn't look easy over the past couple of weeks and yes, they've played, you know, experienced secondaries, but even against Penn state, uh, CJ Stroud was, was awesome. He lit up Joey Porter jr. And those guys. So Maryland and Indiana, they've got some, some players and some guys back there, you know, T1 Mullen and Tar Heap still just a, a couple to throw out there. He has not been at his sharpest. And I, I don't know if that's because of the wide receivers. I I don't know if it's because of what they're missing, but I'm certainly with you on use the middle of the field. My goodness, the times that they did use it last night, they were like high leverage situations. They really needed a first down or to gain some yards. And guess what? It happened. So yeah, you can't run crossers and slants the entire game or every play, but I'm with you. I would love to see it more because Go back to Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba even last year. Those guys made a killing over the middle. And uh, we've seen Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Egbuka are perfectly capable of that, especially Marvin Harrison Jr. at his size. You know, put him on a slant over the middle. There aren't a whole lot of guys who are stopping him at the line, you know, kind of jamming him up. And we saw it against Penn State when they needed it. High leverage situation, Marvin Harrison Jr. slant. They didn't go to that much last night, and I think that really for the totality of the year, we have not seen that as often as maybe we thought we were going to. It's certainly there. Julian Fleming has had his issues with contested catches, but like he's a guy I would love to see over the middle. He's a big-bodied wide receiver. He can take some hits. He has avoided further injury knock on wood this year so get him the ball over the middle especially if he is struggling with those contested catches if you can get him open across the middle a five-yard slant or a five-yard crosser becomes a 15-yard gain 
and then you can still open up the deep stuff for Marvin Harrison Jr. It just it, it seems like they're taking a lot of chances and they're going for a lot of deep balls. And CJ Stroud's hit rate has been a little bit lower the past couple of weeks. So the passing game has been good, not great. I'd love to see it be great again because when those guys are all hitting on all cylinders, it is it's something to watch, right? It's something to behold. And you, you can point at the five touchdowns against Indiana, but he has not had a three. CJ Stroud has not had a 300 yard game since Penn state. Uh, the completion percentage, I mentioned it. It just, it seems a little out of sync. And like last night, maybe it's because they were struggling or they were in a close game. Like it really dawned on me for the first time in a couple of weeks where I was like, man, You'd love to have Jackson Smith and Jigba out there because, you know, in space, in the middle of the field, he's so dynamic and he was a safety blanket last year. I don't know how many eight yard ins, eight yard crossers, slants that he had when they needed it. He he could he could have done it 20 times per game last year and it, it, certain games. That's almost what he did. And then he you knew what he could give you down the field. But. They're missing a middle-of-the-field presence right now, and I don't know why it's not there because the guys are capable. Maybe it does come back to play calling. I think all the the people involved in that passing game have some things to look at this week. Yeah, I think that's another – I don't want to get too much back into the day conversation, but I think that's just a, you know kind of overthinking himself a bit. Like He's trying to be you know creative with the offense. He doesn't want to like – be too vanilla with stuff but sometimes like you know when you have the talent advantage that ohio state does so often take what's there take the easy stuff you know the, that middle of the field like we said yeah, is always boring open. yeah being boring is is going to work when you're this ohio state offense with the talent they have and sometimes you just got to do it i feel like he's he's you know he's he's making a move that's you know uh, he's adjusting to the adjustments that the other team's going to make before they make them and they're not making them so you got to take it when it's there yeah i really hope you know i don't know it doesn't sound likely at this point but man if jack smith and jigba plays next week against michigan that would be uh, a real treat i would say but i think uh i think we've done it's done all good... i want for christmas gene uh, i'm saying it now i know we haven't got to thanksgiving that's what i want is my christmas present is like a a 95 percent healthy jackson smith and jigba who can go out there, be a presence in the middle of the field. Um, it's all I'm asking for. Yeah, I would. I will gladly give him my hamstring if he wants it. I don't need it. I'm fine. Like I, I sit at a desk all day. I'll like give he, him both. Yeah, he could have them. He could have, have my legs. Them. I don't care. Just give it to him. Let him play against Michigan. Um, that would be nice. But yeah, I think we've done our due diligence on the offense here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We can switch over to the defensive side. Not great, but I do want to start with the the positives here, Josh. I want to ha- let you have your your victory lap here because with with 13 total tackles in this game for Tommy Eichenberg, he has officially eclipsed 100 tackles on the season. 105 total tackles, 12 for loss, yes, two and sir. a half sacks, a pick, a touchdown, two pass breakups. Just an incredible season for Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, so I'm going to let you have the floor. And, and also allegedly doing this with two broken hands, by the way. So uh, just a just a huge year for your guy. The, the two broken hands thing, it's 
it sounds fake, but I don't think anybody's going to lie about that. I love this dude. He is now my favorite player on on the team and going back a couple of seasons now. He's just he's such a competitor, he's such a baller and it's a combination of things, you know. I I think that he he received some poor coaching last year, but he was also a little wet behind the ears, right? And he got better as the year went on. We saw that. So some of it is just his growth. I think some of it is coaching. It's all of it is toughness. I mean, the dude is such a leader. He's a quiet storm out there. But the thing that impresses me the most about him is he didn't always jump off the page as the most athletic guy. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, I think he's a four five, four six, forty guy, but he's like a good running back. And maybe he gets some of that from Steel Chambers, his buddy playing next to him. <clears throat> he is incredibly decisive. When he chooses a point of attack or a line of attack, he hits it, he goes. And that's why we've seen so many tackles for a loss or, or up near the line of scrimmage. He had the great stuff um, on short yardage last night. The guy just, he picks a spot and he attacks it. And that's what you want to see from a linebacker. He's a smart guy. And does that open him up to over-pursuit? Yeah, I guess, but it's not like you can point at it four or five times a week. The guy's just, he's on point right now, and he's playing at such a high level, and the fact that he's doing so with two broken hands, fractures in his hands, whatever, Ohio State would probably, I'm not saying they wouldn't be undefeated, but this defense would not be where it is now if we had, like, week four Tommy Eichenberg from 2021, just his growth is insane, but I also don't want to short steel chambers. I think they play off each other incredibly well, but since this is my victory lap, since you opened the floor, yes, you know, um, high, high praise for Tommy Eichenberg. He is just a, a, a beast and an incredible leader and a tough guy, and I don't know how much more you can say about him. Yeah, for sure. This linebacker duo for Ohio State has been very, very good. Both of them obviously uh, been tremendous in in stopping the run. You know, Steel Chambers specifically has really impressed me with his ability to you know make tackles in space. And I think that they've kind of set these guys both up to do you know what they're best suited to do. They kind of leave Tommy in sort of the middle of the field as, as that run stopper, and he makes a ton of plays there. And then they kind of let Steel Chambers roam around a bit and kind of like you know patrol the edges. And I think that's kind of the best way to use those guys. You know, Tommy is a is a sure tackler. He's really good. Knows for the ball up the middle and stuff. So they put him there, you know, steel chambers a little bit faster as a former running back, great at getting to the edge. So having those two guys in the middle of this defense has certainly been important for Ohio state. The guy I wanted to highlight this week um, is Lathan ransom, who has been having a really just tremendous year Um, coming into the season. I didn't think he'd have a big role in this team coming off that pretty significant leg injury, but from the jump, he's been really good. You know, he he kind of stole the starting job as one of the safeties from Josh Proctor and hasn't looked back. Another huge game for him in this one. Second on the team with seven tackles, had a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, also had a blocked punt for the second week in a row. Um, doing all of this with a he allegedly broke his thumb in the first play of this game and then continued to play. Um, Unreal. 
Don't know what's going on with Ohio State's bones in their hands uh, this year, but, you know, who am I to judge? Uh, but nonetheless, you know, these guys toughen it out. Lathan Ransom with another huge game. I've really liked his play in this secondary. He was kind of all over the field in this one. Um, the safeties as a whole have, have played well all year. You know, Ransom, McAllister, Hickman, those guys have all been great. But Lantham, uh, Ransom has really, you know, stood above the pack and has, has really stood out. I've really been impressed with him. I think he's kind of, you know, I think he's almost surely now played himself into a, a true NFL prospect at this point without the season he's had. Um, and it's just, it's been fun to watch. He's been a really strong part of this defense. He's been a sure tackler. He's had a nose for the football. He, you know, yesterday's game, it seemed like every play he was there, or at least, you know, in the area of the play at its end. So, um, really liked what I saw from him. And then up front, of course, um, the, the tremendous Gene, ending. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. I want to, just because you brought him up, I want to bring up one of your favorite players, uh, because I'm a good co-host, uh, and I'm like that. He, they don't play the exact same style, but as far as Lathan Ransom's ability as a playmaker, like he's probably the most exciting safety Ohio State has had since Malik Hooker, your guy. You know, Malik Hooker was a ball hawk. He had infinity interceptions. That's not necessarily Ransom's game, but whether it's a block punt, a forced fumble, an interception, uh, a play in the backfield, he does probably provide as many exciting moments and exciting big plays as hooker maybe pound for pound so that was my comp i don't know how much you agree with it because it's a little apples to oranges but he at least brings that element that malik hooker brought it's really funny you say that because during this game that's what i was thinking of the type of performance he was having and obviously not the the ball hawking ability of malik hooker and that was you know a big part of his game was all the interceptions but the just the fact that he was you know everywhere on the field you know it seemed like when malik hooker was on the field whenever whenever a play was ending whether he was making the tackle himself or was just in the area malik hooker was there you know he did a bit of everything and that was sort of the the type of game Ransom was having yesterday. It seemed like every big play, you know, Ransom was there to at least, you know, have an impact on it. Um, obviously, the block punt was big. It's the second week in a row he's done that. First time a, a Buckeye has blocked punts in back-to-back weeks since Mike Doss in 2001. Um, just a, a really good big safety. year for him. Yep, good, pretty good. You know, if he's the next Mike Doss, we'll take <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, great game from him. Um, I also loved, you know, maybe not a full game performance, but just the way that he ended the game. Um, Zach Harrison at the end of this football game. Um, on a three-man rush, nonetheless, back-to-back plays yeah. where he got to Talia, was registered with two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss, on the final play of the game, knocked the ball out of Talia's hands, popped it into the air for Chambers to catch it for a one-yard pick six. We, you know, you love to see those. Um, but nonetheless, just a, a really great time for Zach Harrison to you know turn it into a fifth gear and, and put the team on his back there at the end with it with a chance for you know with Maryland having the chance to potentially win the game on a late drive to just put the game away like he did and like I said on a three man rush like just a, a tremendous effort from him. Um, he's had a good year. You know he wasn't this. He's not a guy that we you know said coming into the year was going to have a ton of sacks. That's really not his game. He's more of that run stuffing defensive lineman. But here he showed that he still has it in him to get to the quarterback when needed. And uh, you know I've really liked what I've seen from this year another big game from Zach Harrison I think that what we're seeing with a couple of these guys is if anything Jim Knowles and his guys on the defensive side of the ball have figured out how to get the most out of most players um we we can talk about this guy or that guy who's maybe not performing up to the highest standard but I think they're few and far between Zach Harrison yeah I mean it's not every single game but it's pretty consistent He's been really good this year, and the stats might not jump off the page. You know, five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, but I I don't know. I feel like he's had a dozen big plays, and so 
been down on Zach Harrison, I think, for probably too much of his career. Or maybe it was our expectations. Maybe we were just flat out wrong. But he's played really well this year, and he, I think he's he's bigger. Clearly, they move him around a little bit, but just huge, huge performance when they needed it the most. That's that's what they've gotten from Zach Harrison is when they needed somebody else on that defensive, you know, up front to make a, a play, he's been there to do it. So um, he was good. We saw Jack Sawyer with the sack. We saw JT Tuimilau with a sack. For all of the sort of negative things that we want to say about this defense, which I know we're going to get into, as, as far as keeping it positive, yeah, like the front seven, really, and then you sprinkle in some of the safeties. These guys have played well, and – you know, Maryland scored 30 points and they put up around 400 yards. They outgained Ohio State by one yard, if I'm not mistaken. But like it wasn't a bad performance. I, they bottled up Roman Hemby pretty well. 11 carries for 39 yards, I believe. He's a really good running back. Uh, Antoine Littleton was not involved very much. Averaged fewer than two yards per carry. And <clears throat> we saw Tagovailoa with a 27-yard run but more of a broken play and that's not really his game he also did have the the sort of like option keeper down towards the goal line that's something that I think Ohio State will clearly need to ready themselves for next week but by and large they were pretty good in most aspects of the game credit goes to those guys up front or you know around the interior didn't see much from the the defensive tackles but again Maryland went pass heavy, so the stats don't look great, but I think most of the defense actually played pretty well. Yeah, I, I thought from a, a pressure standpoint, the defensive line has certainly had better games. You know, they had the four sacks in this game, but there were a couple of times where Telia had a you know a good amount of time to throw the football. But overall, I thought they were solid up front. Yeah, like you said, the front seven, at least in stopping the run, was very solid. You know, 84 yards total on 31 carries for Maryland, so 2.7 yards per carry. And if you take off the the long 26-yard scamper from Talia. Um, they had 58 yards on 30, 30 carries, so under two yards per carry. You'll definitely take that. Ohio State's rushing defense this year across the board has been phenomenal. Um, but, you know, we, we talk here, you know, we, we've talked about the defensive line. We've talked about the linebackers. We've talked about the safeties, uh, which unfortunately leads us to the one spot left, and it's the spot that really plagued Ohio State the most in this game. It's the spot that has been the glaring weak point of this defense all year, and that was the cornerback Gene, play. before you start, like, your vitriol, for the corner play, like it comes through in your voice. I don't know if if everyone's gonna notice, but like you start to bring up quarters, man, and you just you you go negative. You go to a dark place, man. It's just it's just really frustrating because I feel like these guys are good, but their coaching has not been. Like I um it's it's been very tough to watch that the like the reason that I know it's coaching is because all of these guys are having the same exact issues, and it's the issues we brought up time and time again this year where they're just not playing the ball in the air well. And there was some times in this game where just the coverage simply wasn't good, and we haven't really seen much of that this year. And I think, you know, Talia had a great game, obviously, but there was some some real busted coverage in this game on more than a handful of occasions. Um, tough game for some guys individually. You know, Jordan Hancock did not look great in this game. Um, didn't really notice much of Denzel Burke. Cam Brown had his share of, like, really good plays and also really bad plays. Um, Jair Brown played a little bit as well. Didn't really notice him a ton, but... 
just the whoever was out there, they're always having these same issues. And I just don't know, you know, especially, you know, you look at a guy like Denzel Burke, right, who last year had this tremendous season, was a clear number one corner on this Ohio State football team, was a lockdown corner. And now this year has been, you know, struggling for most of the season. That leads me to believe that it's a coaching issue. And I know, you know, they're on their first year of Tim Walton. Um, I just don't know if he's the guy. You know, it's it's just these corners are not playing well. Um, they haven't really been exposed a ton because Ohio State's defensive front has been so good and has been getting good pressure, so they haven't had to, like, cover for long periods of time. But we saw in this game when Talia had time to throw um, against, you know, with these these pretty solid group of wide receivers, um, Ohio State's secondary struggle, and it was mainly the, the corners. There were some, you know, there were some misplays by the safeties as well, but I think Perry Eliano's safety group has more or less been, you know, really good all season, so I'll give him a pass here. Because um, I think they're trying to pick up the slack from these corners, and I don't know what what they do here. Like, it's, I don't think it's the players. I think the players are fine. They're just not being coached up very well, and I don't know what Ohio State does here at the cornerback position moving forward because it is a very clear issue that was exposed against this Maryland team. You know, you let up 30 points to a team that scored zero against Penn State last week without their top corner um, in the game. So I don't know if this is, you know, something that's going to – you know, plague Ohio State moving forward. I think the defensive line is such that, um, you know, you could kind of hide some of these issues. I also think that, you know, Talia uh, was one of the better quarterbacks that they will see for the rest of this season. If you look at who else is out there, you know, from, you know, Michigan or Iowa, who they're probably going to play in the Big Ten title game, and then whoever they play in the playoffs. Um, there's a couple of guys that are, you know, pretty comparable, but I think Talia is up there among quarterback play that they will see. Um, but nonetheless, Corners have been an issue all year. They were really exposed in this game, and I don't. I'm, I'm a little concerned about it moving forward, uh, more than I was already, um, be just because of how bad they looked in this game. Concern is fair. Um, and I, I do want to give credit to Tagovailoa real quick. You were hypothetically speaking, you know, if Ohio State makes it to this game and that game, but I do agree with you. Like, he's a talented dude, and for what it's worth, I think Maryland called uh you know a good game plan and they have a good unit right Tagovailoa has three four guys who are more than capable he got the ball out of his hands pretty quickly for the most part uh except when he didn't and that's probably why Ohio State ended up with four or five sacks so credit to those guys but yeah the cornerback play for Ohio State has not been great I they were playing so soft last night and maybe that was by design maybe they were told you play soft you play six yards off whatever it was but Maryland was like okay fine we'll take it and then when you come up we're gonna try and expose you and they did a couple of times so it's it's puzzling man like Tim Walton is an NFL guy like he knows how to coach the position but something has not something has been amiss this year you know Denzel Burke I think he's turned a little bit of a corner, but he's regressed. And, and you don't see that a lot from freshman to sophomore year. That's odd, I think, because freshman All-American to average cornerback, maybe. Um, it, like I said, it's odd. Cam Brown just has continued to struggle with injury. I think he's had some some good plays. He's had some bad plays. That's probably what you're going to get from Cam Brown, but you like his experience. Jordan Hancock, man, crispy last night on a couple of plays. You know, he got blown up on a block, and then there was a deep ball, which got missed, but he was <laughs> infinity yards behind the guy. I think he bit on a double move. Probably some experience that, he, that you know, he just he hasn't gotten because he, he dealt with his own injury. Jair Brown, 
Uh, we haven't seen J.K. Johnson, so they've been on the struggle bus, and I don't, I don't know what the answers are. Um, I'm not a position coach. I'm not that smart a guy, to be completely honest with you. I just, I, I talk on a podcast, but something needs to get figured out. They need to make plays. You know, when's the, when have you, when has a quarterback made a play? Like, who have you been excited about at any point? That's that's troubling from a, a factory in years past. You know, Jeff Okuda, Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, on and on and on. Jeff Okuda left, and it's like so did the high-level play, with the exception of some things that Denzel Burke did last year. So a concerning trend, to say the least. I absolutely believe the talent is there, and maybe it's just going to take more time. But it's funny that Perry Eliano is, is somewhere in that room or adjacent to that room, and I'm sure you've seen Sauce Gardner and what he's doing for the Jets this year. And Kobe Bryant, his fellow corner from Cincinnati last year, is playing pretty well for the Seattle Seahawks. Those guys were coached by Perry Aliano at corner last year. So I I don't know if you need to involve him, make him the secondary coach. And and Tim Walton's also there. But look, it's it's 11 games. It's a couple of months. It's probably unfair to say that this guy's not getting the job done. But... It's definitely, it's absolutely fair to have some concerns about that position group moving forward. They need to get it together. And they've not played well all year, really. You want to see that turn around and turn around pretty quickly. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an issue. But like I said, they're not really going to, I don't know, they're, they're going to play other good passing offenses. I just don't know. I don't know how much credit to give Maryland because of how much they've struggled in the last few weeks. But like we said, you know, coming into the year, we thought this was a team that could give Ohio State some trouble because of the way this passing offense works. So kind of a flip of the coin there. Um, I think overall, if you look around the rest of the college football world, this wasn't a result that was um, out of the ordinary for what happened on Saturday. You look at the rest of the top four, and Ohio State actually won their game by as many points as the rest of the top four teams combined. Um, you had both Mar- uh, both Michigan and TCU winning on last-second field goals. You had um, uh Georgia scoring only one touchdown against a Kentucky team that lost to Vanderbilt. Um, a lot of scares across college football. Tennessee losing outright by a million to South Carolina. Um, USC in a dogfight with UCLA. So pretty much across the board, every top team in the country struggled. I don't think there was a single you know top team in the country that looked good this past weekend. So maybe it was just something in the air. I don't want to give you know Ohio State a pass for their flaws because as we've you know discussed here over this hour or so. Um, there were obviously clear flaws here, but it was just, you know, one of those weekends in college football. And so, you know, to escape with a win, to remain 11-0 going to that Michigan game, all of your goals still in front of you. Um, I think you got to be happy with that. And now we, you know, we move on to the big one. Happy with it. Only team in the country with 11 straight double-digit victories. So got to hang your hat on that. Maryland was up for the fight last night. You know, credit to them. Credit to Mike Loxley, who I've not always been the biggest fan of. Um Dude put an offense together last night. His quarterback executed pretty well, and there's some playmakers around him. So you got to live with the result. We'll happily do so. Um, you know, 11-0, chance to go 12-0. It's where you want to be. And there's room for improvement. You know, that's the that's the good thing about, you know, rooting for this Ohio State team is we know how talented they are. And, Like, they didn't play a great game last night. They put up 43 points and beat their opponent by double digits. So it's like, we want them to be perfect. And 
who knows what next week is going to look like? Who knows what a potential Big Ten playoff or a championship and a college football playoff would look like? But I think we know now, though, that like Ohio State's been backed into a corner, a, a corner a couple of times and they've come out victorious. We've got a defense that, yeah, they were gashed at times last night, but when they were needed the most, they got a bunch of sacks. They caused a turnover. They hunkered down. So as much as we would love every week to be a 50 to nothing victory, you've got Ryan Day, you've got C.J. Stroud, you've got these running backs, you've got a strong offensive line, you've got Jim Knowles on the other side coaching a bunch of guys up. So you still have to feel good about where you're at going into this next game and the rest of the season. And, uh, you know, that that's a good place to be. But one other guy I also want to shout out to, Noah Ruggles has not been needed much throughout the season. Banged home a couple field goals last night, three of them to be exact. And that last one was sneaky huge, right? Ohio State up three, 45-yarder, not a chip shot by any means. And I was actually surprised that they kicked it. Because had he missed or, you know, heaven forbid it got blocked like the extra point, that could have been lights out for Ohio State. It would have given Maryland an opportunity, probably 30 yards to kick a field goal, 60 yards, 70 yards, whatever, to potentially win the game. So kudos to him, man. They've not always needed him during every game, but when they have, he's pretty, you know, come up pretty big and he's a good kicker. And that last one was sneaky big. So. Uh, great job, Noah Ruggles, too. Yeah, I have my my gripe with Ohio State special teams, but Noah Ruggles is not among my gripes. He has been very good this season, very consistent, really, but for the last two years for Ohio State. So, yes, shout out to him for another job well done in this one. But, yeah, folks, this is it. We've uh, we've gone to where we want to be. I think if you would have said coming into the year that Ohio State would be 11-0 and with 11 double-digit wins heading into the Michigan game, I think you'd be pretty darn happy with that, and that's where we're sitting. So... You know, the, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. This has been the game that's been circled on everyone's calendars for since they lost that game last year. Um, you know, we kind of looked at the schedules coming into this one and said there's a very legitimate chance both teams would come into this game 11-0, and and that is what we have. A, a game of the century part two situation brewing for this, this upcoming Saturday. Um, obviously, Josh and I will be back uh, midweek this week to preview that game. It'll probably be a pretty, pretty, pretty lengthy preview because there's a lot to talk about with that one. A lot of storylines, obviously. The biggest game of the year, perhaps in all of college football. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. We will obviously have a ton of written content leading into that as well over at LandGrantHoyland.com, so be sure to check that out as well. Um, and, yeah, that'll be it for us this week. We'll be back next week with that preview, so be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff the podcast asks you to do. And for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross, and as always, Go Bucks. <laughs>